I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 196. Well, we got nothing to say and no intros, but if you want an intro, so on Patreon, there's different tiers based on different benefits that you want to get. And so I think you have to be like the $10 tier to be able to get that. Yeah. So you could do an intro and you can say, hey, y'all, I'm Joe Schmo, and you're listening to a Paranormal Chicks. Or you could do a poem or you could just have your dog bark. I don't know. You do you. I mean, at the $10 one, you get bloopers too. So, Ooh. I mean, not to brag, but we suck pretty bad. <laughs> Or good, depending on who you ask. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Hey, ladies. Sorry it's taken me so long to write you all with any of my stories, but I had to make sure I got all my ducks in a row just so I didn't send 15 emails saying, oh, I forgot this part later. The first story I want to tell you is about Gregory. Gregory was the younger brother of a close friend of mine. Let's call her Kay. Since middle school. He was known for getting into trouble, hanging out with the wrong kind of people, that sort of thing. After coming back from a 30-day stay in Juvie, he had a come-to-Jesus moment and told his family that he was making a change in his life. He had met with a recruiter and was joining the military, and everyone was ecstatic. This announcement was made when everyone was celebrating his 18th birthday, after which he went with a couple of friends out to someone's field to drink and have a bonfire. On the way, the three miners stopped at the party store where they got a keg to celebrate his birthday and return from Juvie, then headed out the dark country roads. And even though we could all handle winter driving better than parallel parking, it was easy to forget the other drivers. The details are a bit hazy, but a conversion van slammed into the two-door Cavalier, sending the keg, which was in the back seat, into the front seat. One of the three was killed instantly, nearly decapitated by the keg. Gregory died in the ambulance ride, and the driver was in a medically induced coma long enough to miss the funerals of both of his friends. Another sad note, his oldest sister was on her way back to her home and passed the ambulance speeding into town with the sirens on. Being a paramedic, when she saw the sirens turn off in her rearview mirror, she said a little prayer to herself for whoever didn't make it to the hospital, not knowing it was her brother. That's freaking heartbreaking. Gregory died on his 18th birthday. It wasn't long before Kay started experiencing weird things here and there. Gregory liked to mess with his siblings, so anytime something wouldn't work right or be weird, they'd say, God damn it, Gregory, to have a little laugh. The radio would stop working in her car when it was a song he didn't like. Kay's boyfriend's phone wouldn't work in her apartment at all, even though there was no reason it shouldn't. Gregory hated him. This was nothing compared to Aiden. Aiden is Kay's son, Gregory's nephew. He was obsessed with the little guy, and even though Aiden was only barely two when he died, he had more interactions with Gregory than anyone else. He would always pull Kay around the apartment, saying something about Geggy, trying to show her something. As he got older, all of the horror movie tropes regarding the kids interacting with ghosts were a normal way of life. Something would break where Aiden couldn't reach it. It was Gregory. Aiden's in his room playing and talking to himself. Nope, it's Gregory. It started giving us chills when he would say things like, Uncle Geggy named the toy dog Sheba, the name of the dog they had growing up, which Aiden had no way of knowing. He made several comments about Gregory wanting to go back to Nana's house. They passed around his ashes for a while for different reasons. Kay had multiple pregnancy losses in the next few years, and each time Gregory told Aiden about the baby. 
and then told him when the baby was going to live with Gregory, each time well before she suspected anything was wrong with her pregnancies. At one point, the oldest sister called Kay to teasingly accuse her and her mom of going behind her back and taking some of Gregory's ashes out where he was held. Kay was given a butterfly necklace and on the back had a tiny opening to seal cremated ashes inside. It held a minuscule amount. Nobody felt it was a major decision to run by their sister. Fast forward six months, her sister visits a medium who tells her Gregory said she has his ashes, even though they're at his mom's house. She repeatedly told the medium that couldn't have been right, but she held her ground, even describing the butterfly necklace. Hearing this teasing accusation from her sister, it surprised Kay so much she instantly accused mom of saying something. Only Gregory would tattle on his sister from the other side. Aiden and my daughter are the same age, born just three months apart, and we lived a very short time in a house owned by Kay's stepdad. Gregory spent a lot of time fixing up this house with his stepdad, and it really became a labor of love. The house stood vacant in our tiny town for years before Kay's stepdad bought it and brought it back to life. We were the first people to live there once it was finished. My stories of our time at the house are a whole different email, but here's one last crazy tidbit. My daughter never had a problem sleeping until we moved into that house. She slept through the night the day we came home from the hospital. Always loved naps and always grouchy AF when bothered. Same, am I right? She's 12 now and goes to bed at 8.30 to be up at 6.30. This girl loves her sleep. When living in that house, though, there was never once a morning I wouldn't discover she'd silently wiggled into my bed. We would do the nightly routine, a special blankie, stuff Lammy, tuck her in all perfect, only to have her screaming bloody murder and barreling down the hall towards me before I even got to our staircase. This happened every night, and it would usually last an hour and a half to two hours. One night, after over two hours of her freakouts, my sleep-deprived crazy ass screamed, All right, Gregory, enough. Fuck. Just back off and let the girl get some damn sleep. We lived in that house for a very short time, and we ended up leaving Michigan entirely to move to Charleston, South Carolina. About six months in our new home, Kay called me and told me about the conversation she and Aiden shared. He mentioned something about L. Apparently, Uncle Geggy liked to play with L, and it was fun during the day, but at night, she didn't want to play. He said he had to stop playing with her after her mom yelled at him to let her sleep. I can't make this shit up. And I still get full body chills every time I think about that. Plenty more where that came from. So I'll follow up with more soon. Love you ladies and creep it real. Charlotte. Well, your daughter sounds like Carrie. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> sleep, sleep and more sleep. Don't wake me up from a sleep. I could go to bed at 830 every single night and still wake up at 630 tired. <laughs> yeah. Like, n- n- I'm not lying. Like, there are some nights that we don't record, and it's just like, you know what, I'm exhausted from work. Let me go to bed at like 8.30, 8.45, and it is everything in my power to wake up at like 7.15. Yeah. And then I'm late for work. (laughs) Also, it is wild how y'all got so much confirmation that Gregory was still in y'all's lives. Whether you wanted him there or not, it sounded like... That's so sad how they died, too, though. Yes. Like, just before that next chapter in his life. Well, and who would have thought to, like, buckle in a keg? Right? Okay, the next one. Creepy kids, scary small town tales, and a shadow man. Aloha, beauties. My name is Jess, and I currently live in the beautiful state of Hawaii, thanks to the Navy. I love your podcast. 
I stumbled upon it a few months ago and have been binging it. You girls keep me company while getting ready for work, driving across the island to work, and when I'm reading through my hundreds of daily emails. I feel like I'm shooting the shit with my two best friends. I have a few stories to share today. I have a bunch more, but for time's sake, I'll keep it somewhat quick. So as a kid, I lived in Detroit, Michigan, in the house my mom grew up for the better part of her childhood. My grandparents moved out to the suburbs and gave my mom the house since she was the oldest daughter and had kids already. Well, this house was a big house with a giant stone porch and three large windows looking out to it. Most houses in Detroit had them back then. Well, one day we were sitting there watching TV at night and I looked out the window because the blinds were up and I saw a shadow-like man in a trench coat and a hat standing on the porch. I couldn't make out any features. It was just dark like a shadow. I said something to my parents, but they didn't see anything and thought I was just tired. I saw him again a few years later, but again, he was just standing there and then was gone. To this day, I do not walk past or look outside at night when the blinds are open. Next story. We moved to a small town in North Dakota when I was a kid. We moved into this apartment complex that consisted of three buildings, two with two units and one that had four units in it. There was a unit that had the windows covered and no one lived there for a while. And I remember one day seeing a little girl in the window. I was confused because I didn't think anyone lived there. I said something to my friend, but she just said no one lives there. Maybe it's a ghost. Later that night, I dreamed about the little girl. The next day, I was playing outside with my friend and her asshole brother. I was six, he was 10, and a total douche. I eventually ended up punching him one day because he talked too much shit. Anyways, one day he told us the story of that apartment. I might not get all the details perfect as it was almost 30 years ago, but from what I can remember, a woman lived there with her daughter. Her daughter got sick and passed away, and the woman ended up hanging herself in the apartment. I was super freaked out and realized that that little girl might have been the ghost of the girl who passed away. Okay, last story. Well, y'all know how creepy kids can be, right? When my son was a baby, he always looked into this one corner in the living room and would stare or laugh like he was playing with someone. I would look up and see nothing and then be like, nope. As he got older, he had invisible friends who were zombies. He would walk in on us watching The Walking Dead and like it, I don't know. And he still plays with his zombie friends sometimes. When he was about three, we were in the backyard with my mom and he went over the fence and was talking to someone. My mom walked over because she was like, who the hell is talking to my grandson? But she didn't see anyone. She asked who he was talking to and he said his friend and she said, who? And he said it was a girl. No idea who he was talking to, but he made a friend with a little ghost girl. Last super crazy story, not sinister, but it's definitely something worth sharing. Growing up, my aunt dated a guy named Andre, who was like a second dad to us, literally one of my favorite people ever, and he was my mom's best friend. He sadly passed away in 2006 suddenly due to heart issues. He was only in his mid-30s. Well, when my son was two or three, he was in his room playing and yet again talking to someone. But what caught my attention is that he kept saying uncle. 
I went to his room and asked who he was talking to, and he said, Uncle. And I asked, Uncle who? And he said, Uncle Andre. My eyes got huge, and I just froze and looked around. I was in shock, confused, and even kind of relieved. There was no way he would know who that was. He passed away six years before my son was born, and he was still too young for me to talk about him. I believe he was always there and might still be looking over me and my son. Okay, thanks for reading my novel. I'm sorry. I know, I know. Don't be sorry. Thanks for all you do and keeping me entertained. Remember, keep it creepy and don't get scared. Jess. Okay, so you could reason in a way and say, yeah, it's just like his imagination, whatever. But then the whole Uncle Andre thing is like, oh, wait, it might have been actually ghost. Do you feel like we've had, do you feel like we've had a lot of uncles in this, you know, two <laughs> stories that we've read, but both of them dealt with uncles. Yeah. Isn't that weird? There's always a theme, you know? We'll see if it continues. Ooh. Also, I've never heard of a shadow person. Like, he sounds like the hat man being outside. But I'll tell you one thing, I don't look through open windows at night either because of black-eyed kids, the people from The Strangers, because I can see their mask being just out there. No, no, no. And yeah, like, I, I just don't do it. Like, that gives me the willies. Okay, the next one. Hello, ladies. I have two stories for you. First story. My ex-husband and my uncle. Holy shit. Named Larry. He was an absolute creep. Larry had met a woman who had only said hi and took his order. He became obsessed with her. He would send her flowers, stalk her at work. He became so obsessed, he created a story in his mind that they were married. He had her name tattooed on him in multiple places and told people they had twin daughters. In his apartment, he had everything twin babies would need. He ended up choosing to be homeless. He believed he was like Jesus and needed to wander the earth. And he left all the baby items at my ex-husband's parents. Fast forward, I was 17 and just moved from Indiana to California to live with my ex-husband and his family. I was six months pregnant and didn't have any baby items. His uncle told us we could have all of the baby stuff. We were ecstatic. My ex and I were going through all the baby items and getting them placed in our room. I came across a teddy bear and just had this weird vibe. Soon, I started having nightmares and unwanted thoughts. I woke up from a dead sleep and had the urge to smother my ex. I didn't. I would be doing dishes and would think of how easily it would be to cut myself with a knife and many more negative thoughts. A few months later, we eventually moved out of his parents' place and it all stopped. We had left all the baby items behind. I fully believed that the negative energy from the uncle had tainted those items. Second story and much lighter. I was a sophomore in high school and was going through a really rough time. I grew up in foster care with my two brothers, and we were the only consistent thing in each other's lives. One of my brothers accidentally caught his closet on fire in our foster mom's house. The next day, I came home from school, and the caseworker had taken both of my brothers to a boys group home. I lost it. I didn't get to say goodbye. I completely broke down. A few weeks later, I ran away to be with my bio mom. It was an awful choice, as many bad things happened to me. But a week into my disappearance, my mother showed me an article about a group of kids from my school who had been in a major car accident, a few of which I was friends with. One of them had passed away. I was upset I wouldn't get to say goodbye. I eventually was found and returned to my foster mom. A few nights later, I had a dream. 
I was walking in the woods along a lake. When I looked up to the shore, I see my friend Alex. I ran to him, confused, but gave him a huge hug and said, What are you doing here? You're dead. He replied, You never got to say goodbye. And that's when he started to float to the sky. I awoke in tears but felt relief. I believe he came to me when I needed it most, and I will never forget that moment. Also, my brothers came home the following June. This story took place in November, in case you were curious. Thanks for reading my stories. Lots of love, Miranda. I definitely believe that that stuff had some bad juju on it from the uncle. Yeah, that is wild. I mean, is that the new season for you? Him being completely obsessed, stalker, and tattooed that woman's name on his body and then made up a lie about having kids with her? And I mean, twins, that's a lot of work. <laughs> why would you do that to yourself if you're gonna if you're gonna buy some stuff that you don't even need? Like why would you give yourself twins to make you have to buy more? I know. Whew. Did she know he was that obsessed with her? Or was it I mean like oh. I know he said she said that like he stalked her and sent her flowers and stuff, but I mean I feel like it's one thing to kind of be like, oh this guy's you know, sending me flowers and he keeps showing up to being like does she know the whole gambit? Like, yeah. he tattooed her name. He pretended like they had, you know, does she know yeah. all of that? And did he get in trouble for it? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. That has to be so scary as a kid to come home and your brothers not be there. Again, when y'all, are, like you said, you're the only constant thing in each other's lives. I can't imagine because I have such an attachment issue where I get attached real quick. I mean, not to the stalker level quick, but like, I mean, I am hurt when I have to say goodbye to someone. So I can't imagine not getting to say goodbye to my brothers. And then while you're gone, because you can't cope with the fact that your brothers were taken, then you have all this other stuff happening, and then your friends die in a car wreck? Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, that is a lot. Also, that's really scary about having those intrusive thoughts but, like, to the point of, like, wanting to do them. Because, I mean, we all have intrusive thoughts, but, like, it's not really the urge to do it. Mm-hmm. It seemed like that was making you want to be, like, on the brink of doing it. Yeah. All right. The next one. Hey, y'all. I'm Ashley, originally from East Tennessee, but I just graduated nursing school, got married, and moved to North Carolina. Well, that is a lot of big life changes. <laughs> I mean, congrats on all of it, but yeah. sheesh. I have only been listening for about a week. I heard the podcast through Let's Not Meet, and I'm a total crime junkie here. I feel like I'm just rambling, so here's the story. March 2nd, 2012, I was in a car accident. We've had a lot of car accidents, too. Car accidents and uncles. I had a lot of injuries, but I healed fine, minus some back issues. During my healing time, I had the exact same dream for a week. Nothing added, nothing taken away the same dream. It was of my dad, my friend, and myself. We were driving home and I was in the back seat, my friend in the front, and my dad was driving. We started to drift off the road and I was yelling at my dad and he wasn't moving or responding. We go off the road and everything is in slow motion. We roll and I can see the glass shattering. My dad hits his left temple on the seatbelt adjuster. Every time, I can't seem to get my dad's attention to control the car. I tell my mom and a couple of friends after a couple of those dreams, and I said it was so weird. My dad was a truck driver and always driving, so it concerned me. 
They said it was probably just trauma from my own accident. Fast forward to April 19th, 2012, and it's my 16th birthday. We lose my dad this day. So flash forward to the early morning of April 20th. My dad had to work on my birthday. So I thought he was at my door waking me up, but it was my uncle, my dad's twin. What in the days of our lives twist? (laughs) An uncle? Who's a twin? But that twin. My uncle worked with my dad and came up on his accident. He was there to tell my mom and I that he didn't make it. When we arrived at the viewing days later, my dad looked like he was sleeping. He was as handsome as ever, no scratches, just one bruise to the left side of his temple, just like my dream. I feel like something happened before he went off the road, so his body wasn't tense and it didn't cause damage and no broken bones. They needed the jaws of life to get him out of his 18-wheeler. Fast forward to 2014, my sister-in-law had my nephew, so we traveled to San Antonio to meet him. We talked about how much we wish my dad could have met his first grandson. On the way home, I captured this photo when Snapchat was very new. There is absolutely no edit on this photo. Ashley. We're going to ask her if we can post the photos. Okay, so me and Carrie just looked at the pictures, and... She sent one, and then she sent the close-up of it with her dad beside her. And on the first one, I was like, oh, that's a face behind her. Like, it looked like nose, a chin, you know, like facial features. But it looked like he had, like, a goatee. But in that picture, her dad didn't have a goatee or anything, so I don't know. But then she sent, like, the not-zoomed-in part. It looked like a chocolate golden doodle kind of to me. Yeah, I was thinking like a chocolate schnauzer or something. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know because I was like, oh, wait, that's a that's the dog. But then when I like look at it not zoomed in, I still see the face. Yeah. So I don't know. But I know that has to be comforting to believe that he is right there. Absolutely. When you lose a parent, you like wish for these signs from them. And so it's even if it isn't him... And it's freaking placebo effect. Like I said, an effect's an effect. Yeah. Even if it isn't him, if you believe it is and it gives you comfort, fuck it's him then. Exactly. Also, though, her story was like the trifecta of All everyone's. The ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, damn, car wreck. Oh, damn, an uncle. Wait, and a twin? Holy shit. I swear to God, if there's still uncles and all these other stories, I'm going to flip. I will get cold chills. Okay, the next one. Creepy stories from Rollins College. Hello again, ladies. It's Kyra, the rower who experienced teenage suicide next to her boathouse in college. I wanted to share for all a few other stories that happened to me while I was earning my undergraduate at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. Trigger warning, this email talks about hauntings and homicide. Rollins was founded in 1885 and has many old, beautiful Spanish Mediterranean-style buildings typical of the area. One of the buildings on campus is the Annie Russell Theater. It was constructed in 1931 and is the longest continuously operated theater in Florida and named to the National Register of Historic Places. Outside the theater is a stunning courtyard of roses. I had met a great guy, my future husband, the summer before senior year and wanted to show him this gorgeous place. He climbed one step toward the courtyard and just stopped. He said, nope, and turned around. I was so confused. He said he suddenly got a bad feeling about the place. 
weird, but a week later, the school paper had a write-up about the Annie Russell Theater, the very haunted Annie Russell Theater. Annie Russell loved the theater so much that after she died, her favorite theater seat, balcony right side, third row down, second seat over, was always left open during performances. It's also said to fold down independently and stay in that position whenever her ghost particularly enjoys a production. While Annie's ghost is said to be a benevolent spirit that was rumored to even call for an ambulance when a student was accidentally electrocuted, several students also experienced a malevolent spirit. Russell had a private dressing room above the stage, reachable only by a staircase. At some point after her death, workers removed the staircase and turned that space into a locked electrical closet, reachable only by a portable ladder. Because I guess that was the creepiest thing they could think of to convert the room into. According to the school paper, a student was working in the theater one night and needed to go into the electrical closet. She said the door swung closed behind her, the lights went out, and she could hear something like metal claws running along the outside of the cage. One of the dorms on campus, Ward Hall, was built in 1969. When I was a freshman, 1997 and 1998, a student was found dead in her dorm room in Ward Hall. She had been found stuffed under her desk. It was initially thought to be an accidental overdose of alcohol and pills, soon started to look like a murder. In fact, we all received letters in our mailbox not to speak to the press about the issue. I kept a clipping about the incident from the Tampa Tribune that came out years later. I lived in Ward Hall my sophomore year with a roommate and nothing supernatural happened. I moved back into Ward my senior year, this time in a single room. The room was on the third floor at the end of a long hall. Across from my room was a stairwell that you could go out, but it lacked a card reader on the outside of the building to let yourself back in. No one ever came down that hall or used the staircase. Since my boyfriend had a pickup truck, he helped me move into my dorm. As soon as everything had been carried upstairs, he made a hasty retreat. I thought it was a bit unusual because this guy seemed to really like me. I later found out that that room creeped him out so badly he had to get out of there. Great, a whole semester ahead of me, alone in this creepy room. Things in the room were normal at first. My boyfriend was also in school at another college and lived in an apartment with two other teenage boys, so they were always up late. I had crew practice in the morning, so I was always in bed early. I had started to notice that when I was going to bed, if I looked at my alarm clock and pictured the time I wanted to wake up, I would wake up at exactly that time. Not exactly supernatural, but weird. One night, I woke up from an extremely horrible nightmare. It was still dark. Now, I forget the exact time, but when I looked at the alarm clock, it said 3-something. I wanted to call my boyfriend, but I thought 3 a.m. might be a bit late, even for him. So, I eventually went back to bed. When I talked to him the next morning, he asked me how I was. He said last night at 3-something, but it was the exact same time. He had a sudden fear that I was having a terrible nightmare. Since he knew I had to get up for practice, he didn't want to call and wake me up. Okay, that was wild. One night, I was lying in bed when I suddenly felt the room shift. That's the best way I can say it. I was able to see with my mind's eye, as they say, a vortex open right by where I stored my bike in my room. A creature came out of the vortex. It looked a lot like the creature from the Henry Fuseli painting, The Nightmare. I could not move my body. I watched the creature hop up on the foot of my bed like a cat and got up on my legs. It walked on all fours up to my chest and sat down, staring right into my face, growling. All I could do was stare back. Again, I wasn't seeing anything, but at the same time, I was. 
as it stared at me, I felt sexually violated. I suddenly thought to myself, oh my god, this is why people think they're being abducted by aliens. I don't remember the creature leaving. I just fell asleep and had horrible nightmares that I was running down my long, lonely dorm hall being chased by something. When I told this story, my husband's friend told me about sleep paralysis. It all made sense. I had read that it can happen when you're stressed out, and being my senior year, I surely was. And being an art major, I'm sure I had seen Fuseli's painting prior to this. And growing up with cats in my life, I was used to them jumping on my bed in the middle of the night for snuggles, so maybe that's why I interpreted the creature's behavior that way. It made me feel better knowing it was sleep paralysis, but that room was still creepy as fuck, and I would still experience the shift in the room and sensing the vortex opening. This happened even when I had not gone to bed yet and was just walking around my dorm room getting ready for bed. I did not drink or do drugs at the time, wink wink. My husband is a musician and whenever I would start feeling the presence coming, I would put on one of his CDs and it always helped. I do believe that our belief in protective charms or objects can empower them, though I'm still unsure if it's just our own peace of mind or if there's an actual transfer of energy. Whatever it was, I can easily say that was the most scared I have been since I can remember. I will say though that recently I started taking medical marijuana to help deal with migraines and panic disorder. One night, I guess I took too much and was dozing in my chair, my Siamese cat resting on the ottoman by me. I got the sense, seeing with my mind's eye, that there was a roughly human-sized figure standing in the middle of the room looking at me. There weren't too many details, I just remember the figure feeling black and a bit crone-like. I felt a lot of terror and due to the marijuana was pretty zonked out so I couldn't really move. But at the same time, my brain just said to me, Kyra, you're just stoned. Your brain is playing sleep paralysis on you again. You're safe. Sincha, my Siamese, isn't even worried. I think it was an important learning experience for me. Panic disorder hasn't granted me many favors, but I don't think if I had not experienced so much irrational body fear from it that I would have been able to separate my mind and body so objectively. Back to my college days, one night my boyfriend was over and it was getting late. We were laying in my bed talking and I ended up drifting off to sleep. He was awake holding me in this tiny bed. I had drifted off when I suddenly felt the room shift again and the vortex starting to open. I was already paralyzed, but I knew that my boyfriend was awake and was trying to communicate to him to wake me up. All I could manage was a closed mouth scream that was just coming from my throat, but it worked. He heard me and nudged me awake. The strange thing was, he told me that he felt the shift and sensed the vortex opening up as well. Maybe it was the power of suggestion. After I graduated and moved out of Ward Hall, I never experienced anything like that again, even when I was in grad school across the country in Portland, Oregon, and was arguably way more stressed. I'll end things on a lighter note with a funny story from Rollins College. When I was there, the school added a life-size statue of Benjamin Franklin sitting on a bench. It was across the lawn from Ward Hall, but you could see it from my window. It always creeped me out, and I never liked walking by it. My husband joked it was going to come alive during the night, fly through my dorm window, and smother me with its bronze belly. That always eased my anxieties, but still creeped me out. Years later, my husband and I were chatting with one of the old professors that had been teaching at the school for a long time. He told us he would get up early in the mornings to go for a jog, and his path included a trek through campus. He said there were multiple mornings he would go on his run past old Benny, and there would be rubber dildos glued to his crotch. That definitely helped take the sting out of that creepy statue. 
Hope you enjoy these tales as much as I enjoy listening to your podcast. While I don't think you have a shortage of stories, I'll construct another email for later with stories of my current hometown, Sanford, Florida. Keep laughing, Kyra. Also, Kyra, I hope we said your name right. It might be Kira. I'm sorry. Uh, I hope we pronounced it right. It's my fault. Donna here. I'm the problem. (laughs) It's her. She's the problem. It's her. (laughs) Also, let me just skip to the Donna part of this. Who would just waste a good dildo sticking it to old Benny? I mean, you're not wrong about that. Because dildos are not cheap. No, they're really not. No. Especially the kind that you can stick to certain places. Exactly. If I knew I could get a free dildo out of it, I might have uh, ran my... No, I wouldn't have. <laughs> you would have gone to old Benny. I like that they called him that. Yeah, that's funny. No, I'll just keep my own bronze belly. Right. <laughs> oh, God, I could smother you with my bronze belly. I could smother you. I could definitely smother somebody with my bronze belly. <laughs> well, mine looks more like silver right now. It hasn't seen the sun in a while. Oh, my, mine's fucking transparent. <laughs> Also, I'm glad that your boyfriend at the time, now husband, really did like you. He just was serious that, no, he's sensitive, and he wasn't taking no chances. But that's so something, I'm like, man, I really thought he liked me. Yes. Look, if someone helps you move into your dorm, and they have to go up multiple flights of stairs, they do care for you. That's so true, because remember when we moved you into the dorm our freshman year of college, and uh, that one guy helped, but it was because he liked Casey, yes. his sister, and Casey was helping, so ergo, he had to... Remember, he took your uh, TV up the stairs like three flights at a time, and we... Three on flights? The, three steps at a time, and you were on the fifth floor. Yes, and it was one of those heavy ones that had the VCR in it. Yeah, it was not a flat screen. Yeah, it was not a flat screen, and it was like old because that was my sister's tv before she moved out and then just a couple of months later the next semester i moved in oh that was hell hey 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 <laughs> okay the next one hi ladies i sent in a story that was read on the podcast about my nanny kids the ones who tried to off me several times and this is somewhat of an update and somewhat of a story about how i become more intrigued with the spirit world if you will In April 2021, my grandmother, who was my best friend, got sick and unfortunately could not recover and went downhill quickly. And in June 2021, she passed away. I happened to be in her apartment at the time, which is connected to the care facility she was in. And I ran to be by her and to hold her hand one last time. I was devastated, but the one thing that really stuck out to me was that I could clearly hear the birds chirping, even though her window was closed, but it was as if the birds were in her room. As much as I tried to prepare myself for her passing, I was the one that prayed for God to take her and to end her suffering, and he answered that prayer. She's looking out for me and my sister for sure. The week my grandma passed, I handed in my resignation to the family I nannied for because my grandma's death made me realize that I was being treated as an asset instead of a human, and I knew I had more value than that. I had been with the family for four and a half years and through the hardest transitions and was treated like garbage. To everyone out there, know your worth. That was the biggest lesson I learned from that chapter of my life. A couple of months after my grandma's passing and quitting my job, my best friend invited me to go to a gallery reading with the medium a co-worker of hers knew. 
We were instructed to bring something small enough to be out of sight so the medium could speak to the spirits that came forward. I think my grandma tried to come through first thing, but it was kind of hard to tell considering we were in a known haunted museum. After the medium took a break to reset, we were instructed to pull out our objects, and I had brought a picture of my grandparents and a picture I found of my great-grandfather, whose death has always been a bit of controversy in my family. The medium told me that my great-grandfather had a hand in his death, and that solidified the feeling that I had. That feeling is hard to explain, and no one else in my family agrees with me, so my family just agrees to disagree. Anyway, the medium picked up the picture of my grandparents and told me that the side that my grandma was on was warmer, and my grandpa immediately came through. Everything the medium said was true about my grandma and the current situation of things after her passing. The medium told me I absolutely needed to go back to school and she could see me doing something with massage. The medium didn't know I wanted to go into physical therapy, which does deal with massage. I'm happy to report that I've gone back to school to finish up my associate's degree to pursue becoming a doctor in physical therapy by the time I'm 40. That night did confirm I'm an empath, but I need to learn how to ground myself, which I have yet to learn, but I am sure through this amazing community you ladies have built, someone will be willing to help me. I am so sorry this is so long, but the podcast became the one constant thing I had to cling to during a time of grief and life changes, and I'm so grateful for y'all. Maybe next time I'll write in my short story about the time I think I heard a spirit laying in bed next to me while staying at my cousin's house. Love, Amanda O. I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for everyone's loss. Gosh. But it sounds like you got the clarity you needed from it, though. Yeah, I'm jelly about your medium thing. Me too. I want to do that so bad. Me too. And I've had a few people tell me like really good people to use we just haven't done it yet it's expensive it is you gotta i gotta which is i mean they deserve the oh, money 100 like, you just gotta get your money right for it you know yeah okay the next one hello lovelies you can call me taco i'm gonna start with my first ever paranormal experience picture it 1998 on the outskirts of little rock arkansas age eight we had just moved into a new house as a child my family moved around frequently because my dad was in the military I had grown accustomed to this lifestyle because it's all I'd ever known at that age and moving to a new house was just part of that. Some background on my family life is that it really wasn't the most pleasant. My dad was really abusive towards me, my mom, and my sister, but I'm convinced that something about this house we moved into made it worse. It all started the night we moved in. After a long day of unloading trucks and getting all the furniture inside, it was finally time to sleep. Me and my sister shared a Little Mermaid-themed room equipped with a bunk bed. She always took the top bunk, big sisters, am I right? And I would settle for the bottom bunk. As I laid in bed trying to fall asleep and get adjusted to my brand new surroundings, I spotted something in the corner of the room. It was a tall man with what looked like a long trench coat and a fedora-brimmed hat. I could only make out the outline because this thing was entirely black otherwise. He just stood there looking at me. I wanted to scream but I couldn't. Back then, I of course didn't know about sleep paralysis, and I'm still unsure if that's what this was. I laid there for what felt like an eternity until I finally regained control of my body and sprinted past the figure to my parents' room. My parents were upset and didn't believe me. I understand this way of thinking because I probably would have thought the same way if I was in their shoes. 
new house, small child, of course it makes sense that they might think I'd be a bit afraid. The thing that's weird to me though is this wasn't my first rodeo, so to speak, especially when it came to new houses. Prior to that house, I had never had night terrors and haven't had another night terror since moving from it. This happened every night over the course of months I was in that house, except that it would get closer each night. The closer it seemed to get, the worse the abuse gotten. I'll spare you those details. On the last night of me being in that house, I was struggling to fall asleep. I knew that it was coming and it would be right beside me. It would gotten too close now. I fought through the terror, telling myself what my parents had tried to reassure me with, it's all your imagination. As I started to drift off, something different happened. He walked at a normal pace from the corner of my room to the other side of my bed. Now it was staring directly down at me, and I could make out his face. It was completely blank. He stared into my eyes, and I couldn't look away from his. It happened very suddenly. I was pushed out of my body and sucked into his. My viewpoint had changed. I was staring down at myself through its eyes, and it was staring up at me from my body with its eyes. Sheer terror swept through me. Then as quickly as it happened, I was back in my own body and it was gone. I ran to my parents' room, banging on their door, sobbing. They ignored me and I slept curled up against their door in the hallway. The next day, when I woke up, I was in my bed again. I assumed one of my parents put me back in my room. It was a school day, so I got out of bed and started getting ready. I was actually pretty excited for school because it was my escape from home. I pulled my clothes on and made my way to the bathroom to brush my teeth. As I did, I saw something I'll never forget. My dad had my mom on her knees and a gun to the back of her head, execution style. At this point, my sister, who was around 12 years old, had been placed in a mental hospital for her aggressive behavior. Therefore, it was just me, my mom, and my dad. I began to sob, not knowing what to do. I ran to my closet and hid. At that exact moment, the phone rang. It was my dad's work, and they needed him to come in right away. If the phone hadn't rang at that exact second, I don't think I would be alive to be writing this story to you. After he left, I ran to my mom and told her we couldn't stay there anymore. We packed up a few of our things, and I even gave my mom $200 I had been given for my birthday. My dad wouldn't allow my mom to have any money, even if it's money she earned. On the way out of town, we checked my sister out of the mental facility and hauled ass to Florida where my mom's family lived. I wish that was the last thing I ever saw, but sadly, it's not the end of the story. I think whatever was there in that house has part of me, and I have part of it, because from that point forward, I was able to see entities. It's something that has followed me all my life. I'm now 30. I think about it often and wonder if the tenants after us ever experienced anything. Thanks for listening to my story. Love you, ladies. Creep it real. Taco. Okay, first, can we taco about Carrie saying eternity? Like I, I heard myself <laughs> say it, and I was like, that's a really weird way to say that, but we're going to go with it. I was saying it to myself, like, how do I say it? Eternity. Yeah, like literally as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, that's weird, but we're going to roll with it because I, I'm, in the, I'm in the zone. Yeah. But okay, that was a very serious story. I just had, that was on my mind. But I'm so glad that you and your mom and your sister got out of that situation. Yes, very, very thankful that you were both safe in that moment. I mean, you weren't safe, but that you were safe. The part in your story about you 
laying curled up in front of their door, like it, I, it almost brought me to tears. Yes. Like that crushed my soul. And have you gone to anybody? Like, is there anybody to help with stuff like that? If you feel like it's still attached, question mark, to you? I don't think that's still attached to her. I think whatever was in that house profoundly affected her family. Because I fully believe that. Like, someone could be in it. And, of course, your dad was abusive before y'all moved in. But whatever energy that house has given off made it worse. Yeah, but they specifically said, though, since then they can see entities now and all of that. Yeah, but I don't think that means it's attached to them. I think It could. You're right. It could, dot, dot, dot. But I think it just opened her up to the other side. I don't know. I'm just glad you're here writing this email to us. And we heard Carrie say eternity. Okay, the last one. Hey, ladies, it's your favorite Cincinnati creepster back with another installment of Sinister Sightings from My Seriously Wildlife. I swear, the more stories I hear from other creepsters, the more crazy shit I remember from my own life. I'm going to start this edition with a couple of throwbacks from my childhood when we learned that my sister was sensitive, if you will. My mom had always suspected my sister had abilities, After it was discovered that the little boy she always talked about and played with in the apartment complex we lived in when I was born turned out to be the ghost of the little boy who had died many years before while living in that same complex. But I digress. Onto the good good that takes place in the very creepiest fuck town of Watsika, Illinois. Okay, I did a story based in this and I still can't remember how to pronounce it. Anyway, infamous for Mary Roth and Laurency Venom, a.k.a. the Watsika Wonder. This instance occurred when I was about eight or nine years old. My sister is five and a half years older than me, so she would have been 13 or 14 at the time. She woke up one morning visibly upset about something and told my dad she needed to tell him something. She went on to explain that she had just had a very vivid dream that my dad's cousin, Mike, had been killed in a car accident. My dad and Mike were tight. They were around the same age, grew up together, and got into all the shenanigans you can imagine two boys in the 70s were getting into. My dad thought it was weird she had had this dream, but tried to put it out of his mind. Until a couple of hours later when they got a phone call letting them know that Mike had been killed the night before in a car accident. As you can imagine, my dad was a mess. I've only seen my dad cry a few times in his entire life, and two of those instances were on the day he got that phone call, and again at Mike's funeral. He never doubted anything my sister told him after that, but I'm not sure he was ever able to look at her quite the same way. Which leads me to my next story. At the same time my sister divulged this dream to my parents, she also mentioned there was an entity attached to her that had been following her around for as long as she could remember. She said it always made her feel uncomfortable, but had never been outwardly aggressive to her or our family until its existence was made known to us by my sister. This apparently pissed it right off. Now, keep in mind, my sister and I were latchkey kids before latchkey kids were even a thing. At this time, both of our parents were working nights, and my sister was left in charge of the house at night at 13 years old. The 90s were a wild time to be a kid. On this particular night, nothing of note happened. It was a normal night. My sister made us dinner, we hung out, and did whatever. 
My sister was probably in her room listening to the newest Savage Garden CD while I was in my room across the hall playing with Barbies or reading or whatever activity struck my fancy that night. We went to bed and all was well until my mom got home from work around 3 a.m. She came in the back door, which opened up onto a small landing that either led down to the basement or up three stairs into the kitchen. She said as soon as she opened the door, she was almost knocked over by the smell of gas coming from the kitchen. She ran into the kitchen and saw that the knobs on the stove had been turned ever so slightly enough that there was no open flame on any of the burners, but they were all leaking gas and had clearly been on for a while. She turned off all the burners, checked to make sure my sister and I were still alive, and then proceeded to open up as many doors and windows as she could to air the fumes out. As she was doing this, she very quietly addressed the entity, Are you trying to kill my family? Keep in mind, it was 3 a.m. She basically whispered this aloud as she didn't want to wake my sister and I and scare us. But no sooner than those words left her mouth, my sister came rushing out of her room, wide awake and hysterical, and said, Mom, what did you say to it? What did you do? And freaked my mom out even more than she already was, since there was no way my sister had heard what my mom had just said. My sister never told us what the entity said or did to her that night, but the events of that night are what prompted her to learn how to bind the entity and to prevent it from causing us any further harm. We moved out of that house not long after that incident. My sister just recently got married to her childhood best friend and moved back to Watsika from the Cincinnati area, and it's quickly become even more apparent that her daughter has inherited her same abilities but so far not to such a sinister degree. My niece just turned 14, and so is at the same age my sister was when the spooky stuff started happening. The first time I visited my sister after she moved back, I was hanging out with my niece, and she started telling me how spooky Watsika was and what a creepy vibe the town has in general. She's not wrong. She then told me in the most nonchalant way, like it was the most normal thing in the world, how she sees ghost kids all the time and that they seem to be drawn to her, but she doesn't know why and tries to ignore them most of the time. In all honesty, I'm not surprised that my niece told me these things because I had long suspected it. But the casual way she mentioned all of this, like we were discussing the weather or something else equally unexcited, absolutely blew my mind. Not to mention how she blew my mind again when I visited a couple of weeks ago and she told me she thinks cemeteries are the most peaceful place and she loves walking through them to clear her mind. The one she walks through regularly just happens to be the cemetery where both Mary Roth and Laurency Venom are buried. Some of you might remember this next story from a post I made in the Facebook group a year or so ago, but it's definitely worth retelling because it still spooks me when I think about it. A good friend of mine moved back to her home state of Arkansas a few years ago after living in Cincinnati for almost 10 years. We had only seen each other once since she moved back and decided it was time for a long overdue girls trip. So we both booked a flight to New Orleans. She wanted to go back and I had never been, still haven't after this ordeal, and it's on my bucket list. Anywho, so we booked the tickets, start looking for hotels, and are making plans for what's going to be an epic time. Super excited, I texted my sister the next day and told her of my upcoming travel plans. She immediately texts me back and says, don't go. 
Of course, I'm puzzled. Why is this bitch trying to rain on my NOLA parade when she knows it's been at the top of my bucket list for forever? She proceeds to say, I had a dream last night, more like a nightmare. I dreamed that you were in NOLA and you were murdered. My heart dropped into my butt. I have learned over the years that when my sister tells me something, even if it seems completely out of left field, I need to listen, especially when it involves a dream. She went on to tell me it was on a Thursday. I don't know why I know that, but I do. Screech, hard stop. What the actual fuck? My flight out was on a Thursday and I had not told her that. I only told her that I was going. That was enough for me to cancel the trip because I was not about to fuck around and find out. I ended up going to Arkansas to visit my friend instead. We still have the tickets to NOLA just waiting to be used. I'll end this edition with my creepy experience from my current home. Sister not included. My husband and I bought our house almost five years ago. And from the very first night there, I could feel something was just off. I never felt threatened or scared, but I always felt like I was being watched. My house is over 100 years old, so there have been a lot of people who have lived and died in it over the years. Aside from the constant feeling of being watched, nothing out of the ordinary ever happened until my husband decided to start looking into the history of our house and the people who had lived there, at least the ones he could find any information on. He learned that there was a family of three back in the 30s or 40s, a husband, wife, and an adult daughter. All three of them died in the house within months of each other. My husband told me all of this as we were sitting in our living room one night, and it was the next day when all the weird stuff started happening. We both work from home. My husband has his office set up in the basement, and I always set up shop at our dining room table so I can keep an eye on our little creepster, Felix, during the day since our dining room doubles as his playroom. On this particular day, I had my earbuds in listening to True Crime Podcast, of course, since Felix was napping, and I was bent over the table writing something. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw my husband come and stand across the table from me. I put a finger up to indicate that I would be with him momentarily. I finished what I was writing, paused my podcast, and looked up to give him my attention. Except there was nobody there. Whatever I had seen just stand in front of me less than a minute before was gone. All I saw was the empty foyer and staircase. I looked around to make sure he hadn't gone to the kitchen or the bathroom while he waited for my attention, and I found him at his desk in the basement. He hadn't come upstairs at all. I was thoroughly creeped out and told him what happened, but we went about our day and put it out of mind. The next night, I was hanging out with a friend and didn't get home till around 10 because I stopped to go to the grocery store on my way home. When I got home, my husband was sitting in the living room, visibly shaken about something. After we got all the groceries brought in and were putting them away, he told me that a few minutes before I got home, the front door started rattling and the doorknob was turning back and forth. He thought it was me home with the groceries and that I was having trouble getting the door open. So he came to open it, only to see that there was nobody there. But trying to explain it away as the wind rattled in the door, he sat back down, but a couple of minutes later, it happened again, even more aggressively this time. He was shitting his pants at this point, but was at least not alone anymore as I got home right around this time. Of course, I was freaked out too, considering what had just happened the day before. But again, we tried to put it out of mind and went to bed, thinking that was the end of it. 
but that was not the end of it. Later that night, around 2 a.m., we were awoken by the sound of our security alarm blaring through the house. We both jumped out of bed. My husband grabbed the gun he keeps in his nightstand and ran downstairs thinking that someone was trying to get into the house. But there was nobody there. Everything was just as we had left it when we went to bed a few hours earlier. The doors were all closed and locked, the windows were still drawn, and nothing was out of place. After getting Felix calmed down and back to sleep, we both tried to go back to sleep as well, but didn't get much rest that night. The next day, I saged the fuck out of every room, every corner, every inch of our house. I told whatever was in my house that I did not appreciate it messing with my family and fucking with our sleep and that I needed it to knock the shit off. We had a priest come a couple of weeks later and do a cleansing ritual as well as a blessing over the entire house. It's been quiet ever since, but I'm pretty sure the abilities that seem to run in my family have also been inherited by my son. He's always talking to seemingly nothing, and when we ask him who he's talking to, he just shrugs and says, the ghost. There is a specific corner in his room that he has blankly stared into for minutes at a time since he was a baby, absolutely transfixed on something, but there is never anything there, at least not that I can see. I often wonder what kinds of things he's going to tell me as he gets older. Only time will tell. That'll do for now. My next round will be about two professors from college who were absolutely disgusting, vile monsters, one of whom I had a close relationship with because he was not only my favorite professor, but also my academic advisor. I never suspected anything in all the time I knew him and was completely blindsided when I found out who he really was. But until next time, creep it real. Much love as always, Tanya Rose. Holy shit, I don't think I would have went to New Orleans either if my sister, who has predicted all the things, says, don't go. I'd be like, you're right, I'm not. I just wish that the movie and books, The Divergent, were a real thing so that we could just like see what would happen, you know? Yes, yes. Like, so you could live it, but not actually live it. Like, was she right? I got to know. (laughs) Yes. Like, in an alternate universe, she was, there was a story there. Right, yeah. But we're going to go with she was right. Yes. Hey, better safe than sorry. I need my life to be like a movie because every time I'm like, I should do this. And then I'm just like, no, maybe I shouldn't. I want to know what would happen if I did do it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm nosy as fuck. We know. (laughs) Also nice that your husband's like, no, this is real shit. And you're not like trying to convince him. He's convinced. Yeah, he's like, I know I believe you. I can't wait to see what your son says, too, if he's already got, you know, ghostly season. Uh, (laughs) Season? Sings. Wow. Okay. (laughs) But yes. And I want to know about those professors. Oh, I am making up a story in my head already, so I need to know if I'm right. She has already got the made-for-TV movie, Lifetime Movie Awards coming at you, (laughs) follow all the Lifetime. She has got it ready. (laughs) Yes, I do. Well, thank y'all so much for sending in all these awesome stories about all the uncles. <laughs> all the car wrecks. All, all the ghosts. So keep them coming. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.